I just can't figure out if it's because you're advanced or because I'm stunted. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. I am loving. You do not talk about Fight Club. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Glacé Film Club podcast. You might feel an extra bit of excitement in my voice today and there is good reason for that. We are filming live, Callum. We are. This is the first podcast we've done in person for for years since the good old days in our little Chester studio. But you're in front of me. I can see you. I can touch you, everyone. I'm not going to during it. Don't worry. But this is very exciting. Disappointed. It it feels. It's weird not seeing your face through a screen. And obviously, we got used to doing that, and that's been doing well for us. But hey. Here we are, right next to each other, chatting, reviewing a film. How, how are you feeling I know, about well, it? From, I mean, yeah, it, it, euphoric. I mean, the listeners might be thinking, are you really, all you're doing is recording it in person, but it's what it represents. This is how we started. Exactly. We started in those uh, the, the, the Ice Cube studio, <laughs> as we call it, in the dead of winter, no eating. It yeah. was cold. Yeah, there, well, at least, at least we've got cold. some heating on today. That yeah. was the difference. We'd have a lot of leggings yeah. and a little bit of wine to warm us up yeah. back then. But now we'd be nice and healthy drinking water and using central heating uh, to keep us warm. And this is magnificent. I'm very excited to be here. So, so thank you for doing uh, in person. I thought that you'd phased us into the virtual one so you didn't have to actually see me in person. But this is good for my <laughs> self-confidence that you've come out here to sit in front of me and we can actually chat which is great. You've got a lovely setting as well. I mean, the rolling hill, the rolling hills of the Ribble Valley. Um, Do you want to just give a little description of like we've got a great studio for the day, big bay window, as you say, yeah. looking out on the rolling hills. But what are you seeing from the studio? I'm seeing God's own country. I'm seeing lemon-scented gauze. <laughs> the rolling vistas of, of roll- Lancashire. The rolling vistas of East Lancashire. I'm. It's quite nice, actually. The sun is just breaking through um, a bit of cloud and it's illuminating uh, the distant news. And if that can't pep you up for a good film review, I don't know what I, I wanted to go on full-on romantic poet there, but I just couldn't find the words. I mean, to be fair, a lemon-scented gore. I mean, that, that's the one, isn't it? Do. That's the one. Yeah. That's going to be the quote from the episode. I like it. <laughs> I like it. But what the listeners will all be um, wondering is... You've been back on life, real life time over the last few weeks as you've been oh, yeah. delving into your Easter holidays. Have, you yeah. teased your travels in the last episode, saying you were going to France, you were going for some cultural explorations. What have you been up to? Tell the listeners. I've been everywhere. Well, I feel like I've been everywhere. I mean, I haven't really. I've been to three places in France. I went to Marseille, which was delightful. Um, I'm going to call it the underbelly of France or the Blackpool of France. <laughs> I hope we don't have any um, people from Marseille complaining after that uh, review. Well, we uh, I, I photographed a couple of cinemas whilst I was there. Yes, um, it was. It's a wonderful place. I, w- I would definitely recommend visiting Marseille. I was only there for 48 hours. I was channeling my inner Bourdain, the, the layover style, <laughs> um, eating and drinking my way through Marseille. Um, and then I went to visit an old friend in Lyon who, because of the pandemic, I haven't seen in years which was really nice to see him. Um, I, a lot of booze was consumed. It was very, very boozy. But culture, um, did you find culture there? Did you oh, give culture to the place? Oh, absolutely. Went to some museums, which was nice. Went to a gallery. Beautiful. Uh, 
uh, you know, contributed to the local economy's drinking reservoirs. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm sure they were very grateful for your contributions. I, well, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I found some lovely Cloudwater beer, um, which <laughs> is a Manchester-based brewer. And of all the places to find that... Was that just to show a bit of identity? It was un- it was unexpected, actually. Um, we came across uh, a small little uh, tap room uh, in, in in a suburb of Lyon. Sounds wonderful. Um, and it was just starting to rain. So obviously, what do you do when you start raining? You, you go to a take cover. You take cover, and you know it just happened to be there was a pub within walking distance to allow us to take cover quite sharpish. Beautiful. Um, and he had cans and cans and cans of cloud water beer. Um, and I was like, I'd be rude not to. Wait, exactly. You know I mean? At that point, you, you were yeah. almost obliged to dive in. Yeah, absolutely. And then I got trained from Lyon and then spent the day in Paris, which was lovely. Um, it's a long time since I've been to Paris. And I felt very, very uh, pretentious. <laughs> well, w- that's wandering where you... along the Seine, looking at the postcards being sold by the hawkers of Paris. That's um, where you feel best, though, isn't it? Of course. Deep within the so pretense. You've got to embrace it. I mean, it's... Absolutely. Embrace, embrace your passion. We've long um, gone beyond feeling bad about the pretension, so I'm, I'm glad that you've embraced that and had a, a trip where the pretense could have been live all the way through. Well, I mean, we do have some wine currently airing in a carafe, so... Uh, <laughs> We're going to sound like an absolute pair of hoorah Henrys here, but we do not, have that. We're not. We, we can't be a bunch of hoorah Henrys with, with accents like ours. This is true. You know what I mean? this the the accent saves us. Um, yours does, at least. I've been told I sound quite well-spoken, but you... <laughs> You're bolting through and through. <laughs> well, we'll let the <laughs> listeners give their, give their uh, feedback on that. But thank you, Callum. I was I was excited to hear about what you were up to. I was keeping up with your um, photographic posts online to try yeah. and live vicariously through you, and that was very exciting. And I'm sure we'll have a Glacé Film Club uh, pretentious out into some kind of European city one day very soon. Absolutely. But that's enough of the travel guide. We've got a film to get stuck into. We and we've gone for... What I'd describe as a modern classic often gets put up there as a top piece of cinema. I've read in plenty of lists, big film, uh, big performances, isn't it? And a lot of reviewers have sunk their teeth into it. But it's our turn today. And the film is The Usual Suspects. A bit of a different genre than we'd usually go for. A bit of... um, crime rough and ready shoot 'em up action but there's more to it than that which i will let you know in a minute but callum have you got a few little words wise words from that lovely mind of yours to share with me and the listener about what what goes on in the film I what's it do. all about yeah absolutely um it's i guess it's kind of like a crime noir neo-noir sure um Filmed in 1995, and I only found out recently, based on a from a, a magazine. Uh, there was a, there was a story in a mag in a magazine called Spy. Okay. Um, and it was adapted into a film. It, it's about about five six million dollars the budget, which I guess is a fairly for the talent that, that that's in the movie. It's a fairly indie movie, I guess, an indie film. Um, it follows the interrogation of a of a character called Roger. Um, Kintz, and he's like this kind of con man with a small C, I guess. Um, and he's only one of two survivors of um, a shooting on the, uh, a ship that's docked in um, Los Angeles. 
and through sort of flashback and um constructing his narrative he's telling his interrogator um quite a sort of strange heavily webbed story about how he ended up on the boat with um his uh, group of people basically his his his, com- his compatriots his compadres um and he says that he's under the manipulation of this mysterious crime lord called Kaiser Soze um who who controls them and the police are trying to find out who Kaiser Soze is basically um and it basically follows him recounting the events of this massacre on a ship and it leaves the viewer to find out well who is Kaiser Soze? What is truth, and what has what's been constructed? What's real, and what isn't? Um, I guess it's just a classic sort of crime story, really, trying to find out who 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 someone is and what they've done, mm-hmm. criminally speaking. That's who, the usual who suspect. Done it. It, yeah. it is, it is, isn't it? It's yeah, a absolutely. Thank you very much, as always, Callum. Initial reactions, of course. My first thought was okay. I loved the premise. The idea of the usual suspects as it starts is you get the the police gather these five criminals together and go, okay, we're going to try and pin this crime that's just happened on one of you. Um, Let's get you together. And off the back of that, they form a little mob to then go and do this job that leads to another job that leads to the big um, one at the end. Likes that. I knew going into it, it was a genre where it's not necessarily going to be our bread and butter where there's deep wider meaning there's huge themes at play it was going to be more of action but also the mystery of like crime thriller maybe uh who done it cop element as i said not somewhere where we'd normally visit but somewhere i'm happy to go every now and again so this would hinge on is it a good script has it got good elements to it does the plot go well because as we were chatting about with the batman I went into that going, I don't like superhero films, but I want to give this a chance knowing the limitations of the genre. And I did exactly the same as that. I wouldn't normally watch a film like this because I don't necessarily like the archetypes of the genre, but let's give it a chance. And my initial reaction was, I thought it was a fantastic execution of the genre. I think firstly, the script is fantastic. So I love how they use this retrospective narrative of Kevin Spacey's character being interrogated to jump back and forth between the present and then all these events that have gone on in the past. I think very clever way of doing things, but it keeps the suspense going. And also what's going on in the present isn't just there as a narrative device to go for a flashback. There's real tension and there's real plot and suspense being built in the present. So it keeps you hooked all the way through. And I felt it was a fast pace, even though there's a relatively long film and there's a lot to go through. I think it pushed me on and on and went forward like that. Secondly, in terms of the script, and this is kind of how the ending rounds off, I just thought it was very clever and very well executed how at the end you start to realise and do realise at the end that you have been told this story by an unreliable narrator that is the main character. So you are, it's not the filmmaker that is the narrator in this, even though it always is the filmmaker, but the narrator is 
the main character played by Kevin Spacey, who then at the end you realise has been telling this story both to the police interrogator and to you, the viewer, um, in a twisted way. And at the beginning, that's the suggestion is you've not told everything to the police at the start for him to get immunity. And then this interrogator gets more out of him. But then we realise at the end, as the audience, we've got even more out of him as the filmmaker shows us that he was the guy that he was talking about who committed all the crimes. He was the devil himself. And this very clever uh, device of you have been told this story all along by a character, and that is the structure of the film, but then you realise at the end he's manipulated the story and has manipulated the structure of the film, and then it flips back and you realise he's not who you thought he was and he is the person he's talking about. Because, from my perspective, that's not only a very gripping bit of film, it's also opening the door to so many more explorations, and I want to dig into those, but the idea of narrative and who controls the narrative has power and who has influence over both the story, but the position that they're in, and also memory, how much looking back retrospectively from different perspectives can change how an event is perceived but actually the truth of that event and how it affects the future so i think this goes from firstly a really well executed film in this genre but then that narrative allows it to open up to something i think much bigger which i didn't think it'd go into and i want to dive into that but straight away i was like okay i didn't expect this much from this film i just thought it was very very well done on all fronts Callum, what about you? What was your what were your first thoughts on it? I mean, I obviously I'd heard of the movie before, and it's obviously been cited as like kind of a classic of this genre, a classic of sort of crime thriller, this neo noir type thing. Um, I thought it's quite an intelligent script. I I quite liked that. You know, it's very sort of it it, it constructs a narrative in a, in a way that makes you second guess. Well, who is actually in charge of the narrative? Is it the person that's telling the story is it the filmmaker or is it the character and i thought what this movie does is that it kind of it makes that line very sort of invisible and just as you were speaking then it reminded me of what um uh susan sontag said uh in her book about photography this idea that it allows you like photography in particular and it creates narrative and a narrative allows you to participate in someone's mortality or participate in someone's artwork. And I thought that was quite a nice yeah. sort of way that the, what the movie's done there. Um, I thought the actual narrative itself, it's, in, it's interesting, isn't it? Because like the, the, when you, the nature of crime and it's, it's the same with all the sort of classic writers of crime, like Raymond Chandler and Agatha Christie, they're all about sort of constructing a narrative whereby you're being taken on a journey to investigate something and see an end point and obviously the, the the linchpin the anchor for this movie is trying to find out well who on earth is kaiser soze who is he you know this mythical devil you know construction per, constructed person and the only person that you ever sort of you never actually obviously see him obviously there's an implication that it is kevin spacey or it's um pete bosselvate the other guy the other uh, character uh, actor sorry um, but it's about this idea of performance. Like, can you say something with enough with enough conviction to convince your viewer or to convince your other character um, of a particular something that's true and what's not? And it, it it allows you to investigate that idea with your own within the movie. What is truth and what isn't? And that's the nature of police or investigative dramas. Um, 
I saw uh, Death on the Nile recently, um, and that it does that, isn't it? It's like classic Agatha Christie. Praro is investigating, trying to find truth in a web of uh, corruption, but also in a web of trying to find meaning in a place where there's that meaning has been lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what this movie does. Personally, um, whilst the idea works, I just it was a good movie. Um, I just found the narrative a little bit convoluted and a bit fragmented. Um, and that's just a personal thing. Um, I just, I don't know, I, at points I was saying to you off mic, it was kind of like I was hooked and then I kind of drifted away. And then, I, and then there was something else happened that hooked me back in and then I kind of drifted away. And maybe that's stylistic. Maybe that's, trying to, that's you know, that's the nature of investigative uh, dramas in that particular way. Um, I did like it. I'm not saying I didn't like the movie. Um, I, I just thought it was a bit sort of... Um, uh, I I was a bit tired at some points in the movie, but it was still very good. It is obviously a well written film. I do like it for that those themes that I've that I've identified. But personally, just in terms of aesthetically, I guess um, I, I, I don't know. It just felt a little bit too too webbed. It's funny you say that because I felt exact the opposite. Like I felt like I was being pushed on all the way, and like it it flew by for me because and my kind of counter view of that is that I felt that each step they took could have been leading to the end. Um, and maybe this is what you're saying by it being convoluted, where each step you feel like you get into the conclusion, but then it goes to another one where they go off on like that trip to go and do one job, and then they get sent to another job, and all that happens. But this is what for me, gave the pace to it because it felt like you get into a climax, but then it drops down a bit and then it leads up a little bit until this big one and you think you've kind of got it and then you've got the clever bit of an ending. I think it was a very strong uh, plot in that sense and that's what gave the pace to me. That's what I felt was the pace. So it is that's fascinating that it, it works in a different way to you on that front. But let's, let's move away a little bit from the specific script itself because you just mentioned it, Dan, in terms of narrative and the type of narrative in this genre but this film very much focuses on the narrator as a character and how their control of the narrative controls the film itself so you've got the narrator built within the film the whole film itself and the fate of that character is built around his narrative his retelling of events which later turns to be a manipulative one for his own gain and then you see how it plays out at the end what i loved about that is like i said like firstly you are showing on a wider view is how much power a narrator has um whether it just be in that situation or whether it be in a film as a whole so whoever holds the power to tell the story is the person who holds the power over those events and that seems obvious in itself but if you think of that in a wider view and this is where i want to take it into the kind of like wider world and maybe it is a bit of commentary from the film is that we look at truth as this is the story that's been told like this is the truth but this is kind of suggesting that okay the person who is who can actually convince someone else of the truth is the person who wins out and who gets the truth not necessarily the person holds the most 
um, compelling argument. It's the better manipulator rather than the person with the most information. And in this, he he'd managed to manipulate um, in a way that gave him power. And the whole um, narrative of the Kaiser so how do you pronounce it? Soze Kaiser Soze. Um, character that he leads up to was him constructing and bending narratives all through his life to allow him to operate in this way and get the criminal gains which on a wider perspective is saying if you can bend a narrative and control it then you get the power and influence over others and i think there's a lot to be gotten from that and i think from film in general because film is a narrative art form Every film has its own narrative and its own agenda and has one chance at telling a story. So we go through films every week and talk about the narrative and talk about what they mean. But that's the one perspective of someone telling it. And we always have to think about that. And this is what this film gives you in the wider critique of film is to remember that no matter what you watch or consume or take in is that this is one person's narrative and they hold the power in that and not to give the filmmaker ultimate power because you can see how much your perspective and therefore your actions can be bent by someone's manipulation of a narrative yeah absolutely i mean the the subject producer of of art is is vulnerable to that the you know the very narratives that sort of elicit your own construction you know what i mean so it's like i mean it's quite a literary device that yeah, that's sort of the, the power of the narrator. I mean, the most obvious example that I can think of, most famous example, is um, Nick Carraway in The Great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. Like, he's narrating, mm. creating the version of Gatsby for us, but then we can form our own version of that yes. through Gatsby's own life. But again, but that's told through the lens of Nick Carraway. So it's quite a... The, again, the, 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 the mythology around who Kaiser Sose is has been created by the subject producer, the narrative, based, the narrator, basically. It's quite an interesting idea, that. And again, it's quite a literary idea. And you can tell, that because obviously I didn't know this before I watched the movie, that it's been adapted from a, uh, a short magazine article, sort of a, uh, a supplement, basically, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a spy magazine. Mm-hmm. So um, you can see how... That, that that the literary device is filtered into the movie for sure. I like that idea though. The idea that narrators are vulnerable. Um, yes. It's quite a nice. It's quite a nice sort of way to make you think about the production of art, but not just the production of art, but also the production of just of how meaning is created anyway. And I think what the crime genre does quite well is that it allows you to sort of think about that idea of well. Who's done it? What motive does this person have to be able to do this or mm-hmm. say that particular thing? Um, it's it you know it's it is a very sort of random uh, uh, comparison. It's why it's why a lot of historians or people with history degrees end up doing law conversions. Yeah, because it's like well you, you you investigate narratives from different perspectives, don't yeah, you? And what to is find, truth to find the... truth in the past, and it's like well that's exactly what you have to do to find someone's innocence or guilt. Um, and yeah. the interpretation well, it, of that. This, this genre is very much analysing what is truth yeah, exactly. and yeah. how absolute yeah. is truth and how can it be bent in different directions. Mm. And that is what I think this film does very well is is question that. Um, so just slightly off topic, it just came to mind then, but again, I didn't realise Batman was going to give us so much uh, <laughs> ammunition, but yeah. another theme that was within this film that was within Batman was how 
the corruption within the police, the corruption within authority challenged by outside criminals, but then those criminals are also doing things outside the law. So when they um, uncover the the taxi ring... The NYPD. Yeah, yeah, so there's uh, police officers giving taxi rides to criminals for loads of money. Then they um, go and take them down, essentially, and uncover it. But then they're also doing criminal actions themselves. And again, that comes back to the narration because the police then have their own view as an establishment as an institution of what morality is and how they deal with that or how they view these criminals and there's a narrative between the criminals and the the police as well Well, the the criminal will always say and that's will say well we're doing something just that's their sort of legit that's how they legitimize their actions and then you know yeah yeah that's a really yeah that's a nice little sort of um uh blending there but what i wanted to bring that as a, a rounding point is with Kevin Spacey's character at the end you I felt anyway I didn't know how to feel to him like really you should think oh this guy's horrible look at all the horrible stuff he's done but you kind of empathize firstly in the way that he's tricked an establishment and also taken down um, a corrupt establishment in this situation but then you also you see like how the police were trying to like intimidate him when they thought that he was uh, disabled and they thought that he was like a, a petty criminal and they thought they could manipulate him to give different... When they're saying to him, it's like, oh, you've got immunity now, but that means nothing because I know every authority figure in, in the city. So you can flash your immunity, but that's not going to get you anywhere. So there's corruption there within it. So you've got two forms of... Um, evil if you want to put it that way going against each other so at the end you almost feel a sense of satisfaction when he's got one over on them even though he's done hideous things and it's like again that's the feeling i got within batman was the idea of the criminal has taken down a corrupt um, institution but then still gone on to do horrific things themselves it's almost quite nihilistic in a way isn't it because it's saying like there is no um, good and bad, good and evil. There's only evil. Like it's just two different forms of evil, but one of them is the societal approved evil. And again, this is what I think this film does well: is it you at the end of it, you feel a connection with the baddie, so to speak, and that is a powerful thing to resonate with an audience. And unlike Batman, this resolves at the point where the bad guy figure wins. And you are left to question your beliefs, whereas Batman goes on to resolve it and Batman the goody goes and wins over that. But this is why I think this is powerful, because it works. It ends it at this kind of moral question, which I think should happen in a film and does very well out of this. Well, I mean, the whole nature of it as well is that like all the usual suspects, they're all flawed, aren't they? Yeah. And, you know... I mean, obviously, the, the, in the title of the movie itself, The Usual Suspects, it's kind of like, even the title is kind of like, oh, it's got, oh, oh, here we go, The Usual Suspects. Yeah. Like, they're already being judged sure. by the title of the movie before you even know what they've done yeah. in the first place. And, you know, already you're meant to sort of think about them as something else mm-hmm. other than just suspects. It's like... You know the na- the nature of the of their of their relationship between between them all as well is that they are all heavily flawed individuals. But then 
so's the police officers that are investigating them. Mm-hmm. The society's flawed. Yeah. That's what um that's the whole point of what, you know, the Kaiser's Kaiser Soze is supposed to represent. It's like when Kevin Spacey breaks down crying and he's like, um, oh I was scared. I didn't want to you know, you have you ever have you ever shot your devil in the back, you know what I mean? It's like and got away with it. It's kinda like it's that idea of well, we're all flawed. It's just how do we make sense of what what do we do with that, basically? You think there's a level there of almost and I don't want to go in too deep, but we are, we have, we are, we are delving here, aren't we? A yeah. split personality within his character on a more real term because he talks about um, Kaiser Soze as a separate person. Obviously, that's for him to manipulate the police because it's him who's created that. But he's created this own character for himself anyway. And that line there, where he's saying like, "What do you do if you shoot? If you try and shoot the devil um, in the back and miss?" Is that some kind of way of him saying, like, his internal battle of the, if I try and rid myself of this evil and don't get there, that evil is going to take over me even more. Like, my whole life is bouncing between this more kind of innocent, fearing person, but then the evil within me and which one's going to win out in the two. And again, is that ongoing theme in the film of the battle of good and evil, what exists where? Because he's a very um, dynamic character bouncing between a lot of personalities that we are shown because of the purpose of the manipulation of uh, the police but the manipulation of others for his criminal gains but is there an internalization of that going deeper into the kind of moralistic element of that within that character's mind is the battle between good and evil is his side of him this kaiser suze side against who he really is I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, like, obviously, the mythology of Kaiser Soze. I mean, Kaiser Soze is kind of like an empty vessel, in a way. Mm-hmm. Throughout the movie, people pour into the vessel yeah. whatever yeah, they yeah, think yeah. about him or what they've heard about him, and the, the Kaiser Soze, the person, becomes is a very different mm-hmm. person to Kaiser Soze, the myth. Sure. Um, and that that I, I guess it's a stylistic device, and it allows it allows the audience to think about who is Kaiser Soze. Maybe it is. Maybe it, maybe it is. It's like about... it's a, an embodiment. Is it exactly? It's kind of yeah. like, do we all have a Kaiser Soze within us, and how do you manage that? And how I think I think I mean I certainly do. Yeah, I have a Kaiser Soze inside me. I mean that sounds weird. <laughs> that sounds really strange. But no, I, don't, I know, you know what, what I mean. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like you know. I mean that that was laden with innuendo, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I guess you know, we all have an element to our personalities that we you know we keep to ourselves. We have our own sort of internal um, battles, I guess, our own internal identity crises. Or at least I do. Yeah, but but that's the point. It's like, what wins out, and what? How does that play out in reality? And how do people judge and interpret people's personalities within and things like that? I don't think there's any conclusions to be made from this, but I think it's an interesting avenue to go down with this film because, yes, it's about narrative and manipulation and memory. But it's also about personality and identity in that sense of who is someone, how do you create a person, what is someone's identity. You can create somebody who doesn't exist, but but influences so many people. Kaiser Soze doesn't exist as a character, but influences so many people. Um, 
like the boogeyman. Like that's uh, the idea of it. It's the idea. It's mythology, isn't it? It's like this idea that you you pour. It's an empty vessel. You pour whatever you want into it to create this idea yeah. of this person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Before we round off, mm. I just wanted to chat a bit about performances because yeah. I really thought there were some strong performances. This is another thing I really liked about it. And we don't often chat about this because we get really deep into the the themes and stuff. But another thing that captured me with this, and like I said, I wanted to judge it on the merits of the genre. And because there was a lot of action in it, it needed strong performances. And there really were. What were your kind of taking on that? And was there anything that stood out? I mean, Kevin Spacey won the Academy Award for it, didn't he? So, I mean, as the best supporting actor, I mean, clearly it was quite, it was deserved. I mean, he drives the narrative of the movie. I mean, obviously. He can go to some real dark places in a performance, can't he? Like, he can. Let's put aside Kevin Spacey, the person, and just assess this uh, performance here and what that says about him. But, wow, like, he can manipulate an audience like as he can manipulate the characters within that film. Like, the way you get drawn into the character he's putting on as he's trying to manipulate the interrogator is unbelievable. Like the line where he comes and goes, tell me what you know about Kaiser Soze. He's like, oh no, man. It's like as if like, oh no, he's found out about it. And it's just like that tone in his voice as well. But the line, the famous line from it, which I really love is the, the biggest trick the devil pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Love it. Yeah, I've, I've heard that line before out of context and thought it was a great line for loads of other reasons, but within the context of the film, it's unbelievably powerful. Isn't that, it's from, it's from something else, I think. Is it? Is it a... I think it's a reference. Historical. I think it's a reference to something, yeah. I think it's... I think I read somewhere that it's a reference to um, Casablanca or something. Um, okay, and we have reviewed Casablanca. We have, so we, yeah, should know this. we should know this. That's bad, that isn't it? Um, it's it's definitely a reference to something else, but it's a great line for sure. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, I agree in terms of just the power of that performance because that helps sell the narrative. So, which is said, he's driving the narrative in it. Yeah. So, you as an audience need to be manipulated. Okay, yes, arguably, there was always in your mind that he was Kaiser Soze, the devil. But I think he did a very good job. The film did a very good job of keeping the doubt in your mind. It wasn't like nailed on. And also what I dislike in a film is where it takes the obvious twist, but just because it's the twist. Whereas this, then when they retrospectively go back, it's like very cleverly got to that conclusion. Even though I put thought in my head, Okay, he's he's the one that they're talking about, but I couldn't thread together how he it could be him, because he's talking about this and you're seeing the narrative play out, and that's the power of it because it shows you this warped narrative. So you've got to try and figure out in your head how's this working if he it's going to end up being him, and that shows you the power of narrative because in my head I was still thinking all along, well I'm I'm being told this, so there's some element of truth here. And you've got to try and thread that together. And that's what I thought was good. Even though, hey, maybe it's the obvious twist route to take. It was done very well. That It kept you on the hook to the end and was justified and threaded together at the end. Well, I mean, his, well, the thing is, I mean, he, the reason why Spacey's performance is so good is because, he, I, for me anyway, his performance is the only one that I'm, I'm convinced by, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like the, rest of the, the rest of the characters in the movie are just subsidiary. They're not 
they don't necessarily add anything to the arc, I guess. They, they're just... They exist for Spacey to exist, if that makes sense. Okay. Like, they exist to flourish and embellish mm-hmm. his character, um, which is good writing, I think. Definitely. Definitely. Cool. Let's wrap this up. Yeah, let's, let's wrap this up. Let's, yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go back to what I said before. I went into this with an open mind thinking I'm going to judge this on the genre and really dive into it, thinking what the performance is like, what's the script and plot like. And I think everything in it was tight. Like, I love the plot. I, as I said, I thought the pace was fast. It dragged me along nicely. I loved the directions it went in. It had me thinking all the way through. Unbelievable performance. And it just really got me how it explored the manipulation of narrative, the deeper places it could have gone into, as we said, it, it took me in all directions. And I just think it executed everything really well. I do agree with some of your points is that some of the bits, much like in action, can be a little bit um, elaborate sometimes and for the sake of being at elaborate and having action in there and took you in directions that didn't necessarily tie you up. So yes, there were points I was like, you know, you're pushing reality a little bit here, but I thought it came back to reality a lot. And the main thrust of the film was tight and worked. And I really, really liked it. So I'm going nine out of 10. I thought it was fantastic film. I can see why it gets the plaudits. And yeah, I went away from it. I thinking, yeah, that was a film. Callum. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree to an extent. I mean, obviously like the themes that you've got from it are pretty, pretty dense yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, i always like that you know if, if a film makes you think for me any personally obviously i will quite happily watch a f- sounds so pretentious with our wine resting in our carafe but you know <laughs> i will quite happily watch a movie where i don't necessarily have to think that hard and i yeah. do i'll still enjoy it yeah. but um i do always champion a movie that really makes you think and this one certainly makes you think about the construction of narrative and how narrative works as a sort of not only a literary device, but also as a as a as a as a, as a, as a cinemat- cinematographic uh, adv- uh, device. You've got, you've got that word out there. Yeah, it's just well about played, just well about. Played. You've um, got to have that one in the locker to be a film reviewer. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, I just I'm going to give it seven, just because I did feel as though the narrative it did lose me in bit mm-hmm. at stages, and purely because it is quite fragmented and it is quite convoluted. And I know that's the point, but. For me, I just it, I, I did it did lose me a little bit. Um, maybe if I watch it again, I'll I'll change my mind. It's the thing with these reviews, isn't it? We we review it after only ever watching sometimes only quite often only ever watching the film once, yeah. and usually it's like an album, isn't it? The first time you listen to an album, it's like oh that was okay. Yeah. But then when you yeah. go back to it, it's like oh actually no that was really good. I just wasn't in the right necessarily in the right headspace or at a point in my life where I could appreciate it. But, but that's the point of art, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. How it impacts you in that moment. Indeed. And I always yeah. go back to my Notting Hill love, is that <laughs> Notting Hill. Hill has jumped into my top five all-time films in the last year because I think at the stage of life I'm in now, it really, really resonates with me. The, the first time I watched Notting Hill, Hill, I thought it was a great film, film but now, now it gets me in ways that it couldn't have done when I was five years younger. younger. It, it gets me right now. But we'll do an episode on Notting Hill one day and I'll give you the full explanation of why I love it so much. Because you're part of the liberal elite. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, note. thank you very much, Callum. 
it's an absolute pleasure doing this in person. Oh, absolutely. And I yeah. definitely 100% want to do this more because it's a very satisfying experience not looking through the screen and, and being here in the physical form, in the physical world. Looking through the time dungeon, as it were. Yeah, and let's go and get some red wine poured after this. Let's. And, and chat yes. some uh, more uh, in-depth rubbish off mic. but brilliant fantastic thank you listeners for humoring us and letting us uh, go on a little bit longer than usual we were obviously very giddy to be here in person but i hope you've enjoyed that that was the usual suspects a nice classic and we'll be back with some more reviews very soon but keep watching films we'll be diving in trying to pick out ones that we think you'll enjoy us chatting about we can pick some big themes out of them but until then We'll see you all soon. Keep listening. Enjoy yourself. That was another episode of the Glass A Film Club podcast. See you all later.